Well, it feels like there's been a bit of a change of season, doesn't it? Like literally, it feels like someone's flicked a switch and we're in autumn and the air's nice and crisp and cold. But I hope that most of you have had some kind of holiday, everyone had some kind of getting away, even if it's just a day off or a day in the park, because I do think that's really important over the summer. And as I was coming to prepare this talk today, I was just thinking, God, what, what is it? What do you want to say? What do you want to say to me? What do you want to say to KXC? And I felt like God, as he often does, just wanted to point out something kind of personal to me, but I feel like it might relate to quite a few of us here. And that's the fact that even when I've had a holiday, I can often feel really tired still. I can almost feel more tired after my holiday. And I feel like God just wanted to point that out and point out what that's about. And I think that that's more to do with what's going on inside me. It might be to do with the length of my holiday. It is important to have enough holiday time. But I felt like God's been saying, actually, it's something that's going on inside you. And that's actually a restlessness. And what happens is that when I stop, when I finally get to the holiday, this, all of this stuff comes to the surface where I actually don't feel okay doing nothing. I don't feel okay stopping. I have this like churning in me where I'm like, oh, but I need to check an email. I need to look at my phone. I need to be in contact with people. Hang on. No, I need to go, go, go. Otherwise, I don't actually feel okay. And I feel like um, God was just pointing out that's not just something in you, that's something that's in our culture. And I feel like that is the experience of a lot of people here in this room. And I think it's a really key moment as we're at the start of September, and this is often the, the time that we're looking ahead to a fresh new academic year, and you maybe you've just moved to London, maybe you're starting a new job, whatever it holds for you this term and this year, I feel like God wants to call us into rest. This was the word for us and for me, is he wants us to call, to call us into rest. And today I want to talk about living from rest. And really what, what God showed me is that my restlessness was like, because kind of, I'd been living out of this frenzy of activity that is actually driven by fear. You might be like, well, what, what's the fear? I feel like it's a fear of missing out. There's a fear of failure. There's a fear of being insignificant, a fear of the future, fear of not being enough, not having enough not getting enough. There is so much fear going on that causes this restlessness that we just can't keep still. And we need to keep going, going, going. And the narrative behind that is never enough, never enough. You've got to do more. You've got to be more. You've got to get more. You've just got to keep going, going, going. And this is the Lord's word to us today is that that is not actually compatible with the love, with the joy, and with the peace that is meant to be ours as followers of Jesus and people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not actually compatible. Even in a crazy city like London, this is not what we're meant to live with. 
And the way that I've often coped with that restlessness when I feel it is I just try to escape. And I know we all have those times where we need to watch a bit of Netflix, but it can be excessive for me. And I can be going between Netflix, the fridge, my phone, just like this triangle going, how am I going to calm myself down? Yeah, I'll just keep doing this until it works. Let me just tell you that doesn't work. You just end up feeling worse. And I feel like today we need to look at Jesus. We need to look at Jesus for how to do this. And when we look at Jesus, we're not just looking at the theology that he teaches, although his words are so, so important. When we disciple ourselves to someone, we're looking at their whole lives. We're looking at who they are, how they do life. And Jesus showed us so much about his way. And his way was unhurried, and present. Unhurried and present. When I hear those words, I'm just like, oh, I long for that. I long for that to be my internal kind of landscape, to be unhurried and present. And we might say, yeah, but Jesus, you didn't live in this time in London with my job and with all the things that I've got going on around me. Well, let's just look for a moment at what was going on around Jesus He was under huge amounts of pressure. He was constantly persecuted. He had opposition. He had demand around him. He experienced grief. He experienced rejection, disappointment, isolation, and constant human need and poverty all around him. And while we do see Jesus under pressure, we do see him getting frustrated and even angry at times. We never see him operating out of anxiety. We never see him in a panic. We never see him anxious. He is incredibly unhurried and present to those around him. And that's one of the first things that goes out the window for me when I'm feeling that restlessness is I'm not fully present where I am. I'm just, my mind's going in a million directions. And when we look at Jesus and when we look at how can we walk in this way of rest, we can't really understand it unless we look at Sabbath, The Sabbath was and still is a holy day for the Jewish people. And if you didn't know, if Jesus is new to you, Jesus was Jewish and he had grown up living to the Sabbath. That means every week for one day, work ceases, work of all kinds cease. It was a day and is a day that is set apart for rest and devotion to God. And so the Sabbath day for the Jewish people was so significant. It was a real identifier um, for them as a people. And it acknowledged, firstly, their dependency on God, their absolute need for God, that we can't get our needs met in our own strength. It's only by the Lord's hand that we receive what we need. We have limits and God is our Father, our provider. And the second really key thing, it was their identity as a people belonging to God who are no longer slaves. So when the Sabbath day was put into the law, it was when the people of Israel had been in captivity, had been under slavery in Egypt for many, many years. And do you know that slaves never get to rest, but children get to rest. 
Being able to rest means that we're a free people. And that restlessness that I described earlier, with it, for me, came a picture of something that was over us, just cracking a whip, going never enough, never enough, never enough. And it did take me back to this idea of slavery, but that is not what it is to be a free people of God, children of God. And Jesus had a really high regard for the Sabbath, really high regard. If you look at the Gospels, he's often arguing with the teachers and rulers of the day about the Sabbath um, because it had become what was meant as a gift and a blessing had become really heavy. It had become legalistic and all about what you did and didn't do. And like with everything in the law, Jesus came to not abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to point out the heart posture of God behind that law. And the idea of Sabbath even came at the very beginning of time. It was even before it was ever put into law. It said the creation story of God at the very beginning of the Bible, at the end of creation, God rested. God himself rested. And he said that that rest day is blessed and holy. Blessed for our good and holy, set apart. It's a sacred thing. And so it actually runs all the way through the story of God. The need for rest is built into us as image bearers of God who rested. Spiritually, emotionally, and physically, we were made to rest. Isn't that good news? And the Sabbath is also one of the Ten Commandments. And when we hear, that, the, oh, the Ten Commandments, we might think, oh gosh, but we, we focus more on the New Testament. That's very, you know, Old Testament Jewish. We don't really need to focus on that too much, do we? That's just an optional extra. But actually, when we look at the other Ten Commandments, there are things like, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. They are all actually really important for human flourishing. So we don't really chuck out those, do we? But we seem to maybe think Sabbath doesn't matter so much. But I'd like to say today that actually, Sabbath is part of God's good gift. It's part of his love for us to help us to flourish. It's a gift, and in Jesus, it's an invitation to a way of life. So what does it look like to live out of rest? What are we talking about here? Well, a few weeks ago, I read a phrase in a book, and it's just gone round and round and round in my mind, and I really feel like it's for today, and it's this. The storm around you doesn't have to be inside you. The storm around you doesn't have to be inside you. And to look at this, this idea, I want to talk about um, a story. It's a real story, an account from the Gospels of Jesus in a fishing boat on the Sea of Galilee, falling asleep while a big, huge storm rages around him. Might have looked something like this. Storybook Bible, thank you very much. That actually all the illustrations are awesome. Makes me want to go and look at them all. But but this this might have been what it looked like. 
And the Sea of Galilee was known and still is known for these really severe storms that just whip up all of a sudden. I was reading it, something to do with the temperature drop and the atmosphere, I don't know, any meteorologists among us? Um, But suddenly these severe storms just come out of nowhere. And I read that back in the 90s, they even measured like 10-foot waves. So sort of essentially a lake and then suddenly 10-foot waves. Pretty crazy. And we know that some of Jesus' disciples were actually fishermen who fished regularly on the Sea of Galilee. So they would have come across these storms. They would have been pretty good boatsmen. Is that a word? Boatsmen? Boaters? <laughs> so it must have been pretty bad if they were this panicked. So, so basically, what, this is what happens. This is what happens. If you'd like to read along with me, this comes from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. And this account is also found in Matthew and in Luke, and they're all pretty similar. And it says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, "'Teacher, don't you care if we drown?' He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, "'Quiet, be still.' Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm." And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I wonder if there are many of you in this room who have had panic experiences in the sea. I certainly have had many. I come from Australia. I grew up you know, going to the beach a lot. And one incident happened just a couple of years ago, actually, when I went home for the summer, um, went with my family to a beach called 90 Mile Beach, because it's actually 90 miles long. It's quite a big beach. And because of that, there's only a very small part of the beach that's actually patrolled by lifeguards. Um, And me and my sister one day decided, hey, we're going to go in, have a good body surf. It's actually quite wild surf there, like fairly big waves. We're like, that's all right, we'll be okay, we'll just keep an eye on the waves, we won't go out too far, we'll just kind of jump or try and dive on. You've got to make that split decision, don't you, whether to go under or try and catch it or jump over. Basically, so we're doing this kind of a bit like, "Ah." and all of a sudden, while, while I'm doing this, I feel something that you never want to feel when you're standing in waist deep water, and that is something touching your leg. And even to give you a bit more context, the day before when we'd first arrived at this beach, walking on the beach, we found a seven-foot-long hammerhead shark just washed up onto the beach, which is kind of awesome, but also doesn't feel awesome when you're standing in waist-deep water. You're not thinking, awesome, a shark might be touching me. So something kicks in at that moment. It's called the fight-or-flight response. 
don't want to get into a fight with a shark. I wouldn't even know where to start. So I do what every person would do. I start to run in the water as fast as I can. I don't know why I didn't think of swimming, but I started running towards the shore at that moment, turning my back on a massive wave. The next thing I know, I'm having my head ground into the sand as I'm being tumbled in the wave. I come up with my hair plastered over my face, just sand absolutely everywhere you can imagine and a pretty serious wardrobe malfunction, resulting in some indecency. (laughs) And that is what it might have been like on the Sea of Galilee that day. (laughs) Do you like that link? There's the link. So I pictured the disciples, maybe they've got their hair in their face going, Jesus, don't you care that we're drowning? And so far, I can actually really relate to their question. It's a pretty valid question. They feel like they're about to die. And there are times in life that feel like that, that feel like this storm is so full on. We're like, Jesus, can you not see what's going on? Do you not care what's going on here? But then what happens? Jesus rebukes the wind, gets up, just says, be quiet. And then he turns to them and he rebukes them. And he says, why are you so afraid? you still have no faith. And when I first was looking at this passage, I was like, oh, Jesus, a bit harsh. Is that a bit harsh? Have you just woken up in a grump? Did you just want to keep sleeping? Like, what's going on there? Do you not see the circumstances? There, were, there was literally water coming into the boat. But I felt like as I looked at this further... The reason, there are a couple of reasons that Jesus rebuked his disciples in that way. And to understand why he's frustrated with them, we need to look at what's come before. And so after tonight, I'd really encourage you to go back, look through the three accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and look at what what Jesus has done up until this time. I'll tell you some of the things that he's done. He's cast out many, many, many demons from people to the point that actually demons were just throwing themselves down in front of him saying, you are the son of God. He had healed many, many people, including people with leprosy. He's healed um, the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof. He has forgiven people's sins, which only God can do. He has raised someone from the dead. He has shown himself to have authority and power in the physical over all things, demons, sickness, death, and sin. And he had shown them, the disciples had had a close-up view of heaven breaking into earth and bringing order out of disorder, wholeness and peace in every possible way. And he had even given them the same authority and power over those same things. And they had gone out and done it too. They'd cast out demons. They'd healed the sick. They had been amazed. And so for them to now panic like this at this storm after seeing and experiencing all this and hearing Jesus teach to them about the kingdom and what he's doing and this big picture of salvation... It's essentially Jesus saying, really? What had happened is they still didn't get who they had with them in the boat. 
And I feel like this is a word for us today. We need to realise who we have with us in the boat. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever storm you're facing right now. We need to realise that the spirit of the one in that boat has the same authority to rebuke and silence storms. And it's interesting to note that Jesus actually rebukes two storms here, doesn't he? The physical storm around them and the storm of fear and doubt inside them. And I still think that Jesus calls us to rebuke and silence storms around us. He calls us to to speak out in authority and, and speak to situations. But, and sometimes those situations, sometimes we will see a dramatic shift and we will see, and we might see an instant change, but we might not because we know that until Jesus returns, we live in this tension where we are going to have storms. We are going to have trials and some suffering. But again, the storm around you doesn't have to be the storm inside you. And I think Jesus, what's even more powerful here than him silencing those waves and causing the lake to become completely still is the fact that he's actually given them the power to to not be afraid in that way, to not panic. There is a natural thing of being afraid. There is natural emotion when things are going wrong. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to feel fear. But again, it's not letting that become a storm of fear and doubt inside us. You can say enough, be quiet, to the fear narrative that is coming against you because of who you've got in the boat and who you've got living inside you. So that's one reason I think he rebukes them like that. The second reason is he, they have asked him this question, don't you care? They're basically questioning Jesus' character, the Father's character. Aren't you good? Don't you care about us? Everything Jesus had done and said up until this moment has demonstrated the great love of the Father who comes near to his children, who is breaking in through releasing people from oppression, healing the sick, including the outcast and forgiving sins. It says in Matthew 9 that Jesus looks at the people who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and he is filled with great compassion. He has so much compassion for what we're going through. He doesn't want us to be harassed. And that word harassed, again, reminds me of that restlessness, that drive that of fear that I was describing earlier. And he had also just preached the Sermon on the Mount that included this. And we looked at this passage um, last week when Pete spoke brilliantly on Philippians 4. And it's the passage where Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about it. Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers as if... If I care about them as if I don't care about you who are so much more valuable than they. And then later on it says, don't run after the things that you need like the pagans. And even just that idea of running after, again, it's that image of exhausting yourself, thinking I've got to take matters into my own hands. I've got to get into this frenzy of activity to make sure I'm okay. Don't do that. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. I think it's okay to ask God for what you need. 
But it, but again, we're asking him. There's a posture of rest and receiving. And it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you. Just come and seek me. Come and seek me. We don't need to panic. So I also wanted to just look at, just going back to this passage, the significance of Jesus actually sleeping in the storm. Because it's pretty remarkable, isn't it? If the storm was that severe, he's just actually out to it on a cushion. That's amazing. Talk about a non-anxious presence. Sometimes we use this phrase of being a non-anxious presence in the world. This is taking it to another level. It is pretty hard to sleep when you're anxious, isn't it? I find. Jesus doesn't seem to have that problem. In fact, here, what he reminds me of, has anyone been at like a party or something where someone has a baby there or even at a real, just really loud environment and the baby is just absolutely sound asleep, not a care in the world? I feel like this is the kind of sleep that Jesus was sleeping here, sleeping. He is so trusting of his father and that's what characterises little children, doesn't it? They're just so, so dependent. But when we're looking back at that meaning of Sabbath, Jesus is so dependent. He says he, doesn't, he only does what he sees the Father doing. He doesn't do anything on his own. He knows that, Jesus is gonna, that the Father is going to get him to where he needs to be. He knows all the promises. He knows what he's about. So he's just having a nap. He needs it. A non-anxious presence, and we are called to be like that as well. It also reminds me of um, Paul when he was in prison, and again, this was spoken about last week. So Paul is writing from prison. He's gone through a lot, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength, through the spirit of the one who strengthens us. This is that same invitation to be to have that much contentment. It seems hard to imagine sometimes, doesn't it? But this is the invitation of the kingdom. The other reason I think it's significant that Jesus is sleeping is because he really needed sleep. I think he was exhausted. I think he'd done a lot and he needed sleep and he was listening to his body he was, he was honouring his need in that moment and his limits. He was fully human. Yes, he was God and he was fully human and he got really tired. And God has designed us for physical rhythms of rest, guys. He's designed us. It's really, really important. And again, that's part of that Sabbath to recognise when we need that rest, and we are called to partner with God in his work, but we are also called to recognise our limits and stop. Stop work. And he's put these boundaries around us. He's created us to need sleep, to need rest, times when our bodies need to stop and be restored, when our minds need to shut down, when we just need to rest. And I feel like we are part of a culture 
um, where we can be congratulated for being exhausted all the time. It's actually a bit of a badge of honour to be the last person at work, to be just working yourself into the ground. Even it can come into social life, having every night of your week booked up for the next four months. That can be sort of like a good thing. It can make us feel significant. It can make us feel needed. It can make us feel important. And that can even creep into the church, believe it or not, into how we approach God. I'm actually a pastor's kid, and I've been around the church all my life, and I now actually work for KXC part-time as well as working for the NHS, and I never thought that I would work for a church. It's funny how God works that way. But I actually had quite a fear and a hesitation about ministry. And it's because I'd spent my whole life watching leaders and watching pastors being absolutely exhausted, not having any boundaries and often burning out. And I just want to say that to be committed to the Lord does not mean you exhaust yourself physically, that you don't have any boundaries and that you can't say no. I just want to call that out as a lie if that's your understanding of what you're being called into here as a follower of Jesus. Jesus does not model that. Yes, he did do a lot in his ministry. That is undeniable. But he was unhurried, guys. He was unhurried. He wasn't on anyone else's agenda. He wasn't doing stuff to prove himself or say the right thing. He only did what he saw the Father doing. And in fact, he often delayed things. He often spent a bit longer in a place because that's what he felt like he should do. He took himself off with the Father often, just to be with the Father on his own. He had naps. He went to people's houses for meals a lot. In all areas of work, this applies to all areas of work, whether it's church work or not. And by the way, Jesus doesn't see the difference. He wants us to bring his kingdom by modeling a healthy balance of work and rest. What we do with our bodies and what we do with our time matters. And we can be really guilty of going, oh, yep, 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 I know that's true. I'll rest when things just calm down a bit. Look at where Jesus is sleeping. He is resting in the most hectic of circumstances. He could have been bailing out the boat. I'm not saying there's not a call to put our hands to things. There are times of crisis, but again, it's that posture of rest. It's not operating out of a panic So I want to look at now what practically are some things we can do. What does a lifestyle of rest look like? And there are probably lots of things you could say about this. I'd really love to point you towards John Mark Comer, um, both his books and he's done recent podcasts for the Pattern Podcast. If you don't know what that is, look up Pattern online on our website. Um, But he has done a podcast on slowness. He's also done one on Sabbath. And also Pete Gregg has done an amazing one on solitude. Just a little shout out for that. Go and have a listen. But the first thing I would encourage you to do is embrace slowness. Embrace slowness. I'm saying it slowly to give you the idea. We need to embrace slowness. And John Mark Comer says there are three things that he um, 
encourages to do this. And the first one is solitude and silence. So creating regular space and time, just like Jesus did, to just be on your own, to be quiet. And that might feel really uncomfortable for you. You might be like, oh no, if I'm on my own, all my thoughts, everything comes to the surface. That's okay. God can handle that. That's really where the good stuff happens, where you invite God into that place. And it might just start small, like a short time where you're on your own in quiet. The next, so the first one, solitude and silence. The next one is Sabbath. So you, it might be a whole day that you take out where you just devote that day to being present to God and being present to other people where you might turn off your phone, you might go to a particular place. It's just really intentional. It might not be for an entire day. Whatever it is to have a time of Sabbath, a sacred time that's about devoting yourself to God and to rest. And the third thing is simplicity. Another really important one. So just focusing on one thing at a time, buying less, being more present. Don't be just being with one person, just maybe having one social event in your diary that week and then nothing else. Look at birds and flowers. Jesus did that a lot. I think he walked around and noticed things quite a lot. Breathe deeply, restrict your technology, and that is a big one. I know it's a hard one, but it's a big one. It will make a big difference. Be bored. So John Mark Comer talks about these games that he plays with himself where he tries to challenge himself to be bored and just not look at his phone, just stand somewhere that's really boring and just be, or join the slowest queue at the supermarket or walk really slowly down the street. Maybe it's waiting at the lights until the man goes green, just waiting. Just watching, just being. You know, I, I can tell a lot of you, anxiety is rising in you as you even think about that. That's my challenge to you this week then. So that's the first thing, embrace slowness. The second thing is foster joy. I actually think it's really important to do things that release endorphins and serotonin into your brain, that feed your soul. And it is actually, it's good for your body, but it's good for your whole being. So things like laughing, maybe exploring nature. For some of us, it would be climbing a mountain, being with friends, doing exercise, dancing, creativity, cooking. Again, looking at birds and flowers. The reason I'm saying that is because Jesus did it when he was talking about, look at the birds of the air. I actually think Jesus did take a lot of time to just notice what was around him kind of like a child. Celebration, so important for fostering joy. Take time to celebrate before rushing on to the next thing. So often we go, yep, yep, okay, I've achieved that, on to the next thing. We're looking ahead, we're not in the present, we're just celebrating this moment. Jesus often took time to just be with his friends, to just hang out. He had a lot of meals, he walked through fields, went in boats, went to parties, thought wine was important at a party. <laughs> I'll leave that one with you. Oh, gosh. Jesus must have been so full of joy, and he still is. Do you know he still is? Peace and joy are just two sides of the same coin, right? 
Jesus is so full of joy. And I think for some of us, he wants to just release joy in us today. The next thing is feed the fire, not the fear. Feed the fire, not the fear. So let God and who he is and what he's doing have the stage of our attention, at the stage of our minds. So often it's that worry thing. We're just thinking and thinking and thinking about what isn't or looking and looking at the storm. It's not that we're denying what's happening, but actually the kingdom reality is even more real than what we're seeing in front of us. And in Philippians 4, again, this was in the sermon last week, it says, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, think about such things. This was Paul speaking to the church who are under a lot of pressure. And Pete said a great line last week. He said, worry feeds off the untrue. Worry feeds off the untrue. So those lies I mentioned at the start of like, oh, you're not enough. Oh, this is going to be terrible. Whatever it is, that fear, it's not true. We need to focus on the truth. And we need to even marinate in the promises of God. You might want to say meditate. I like saying marinate. Almost just like just sitting in it. We sing a song sometimes at church which goes, I will rest in your promises. Does everyone know that one? Maybe not. But it's a great song. But I was just like, what does that even mean? And I think it actually is just reading and thinking and speaking those promises over ourselves of who God is, of who we are, what he's spoken to us in the past, what he's done. Spend time in worship and thanksgiving. That really knocks fear off the post. When we start looking at the God of love, fear just starts to flee or it starts to fade away or become less significant. As we become more aware of the eternal and heavenly things, the earthly temporal things just have less power over us. And finally, coming into land, two more things. Physical rest and boundaries, as I've just mentioned. Get enough sleep. Look after your body. Say no to people, even if it means letting them down. Have nights at home. Go home from work on time. Keep that rest time sacred. And finally, take authority over the storms. Be aware that the enemy does want to use the storms of this life to intimidate us, to tell us lies, and to cause us to panic, to start running in that water, exhaust ourselves. But he is with us in the storms. He wants us to speak to them in his name, to speak to the storm within us in his name.